0: Hey, good morning, folks. Today we are going to hear the exciting conclusion of the book of Ruth. Uh, This sermon is going to be about Jesus, as every good sermon should. But we can rightly assume that in order to know the heart of Jesus, we need to know and love the stories that he knew, that he told, that he heard when he was a kid. And this is one of them. So the majority of our time is going to be spent living into this story that has been part of the lives of the people of God for nearly 3,000 years now. A story that we started uh, reviewing as a church five weeks ago, a story that started in emptiness and famine and loss and has been gradually moving toward green fields and harvest and abundant life. Last week when we left Ruth... She was gleaning, the ancient equivalent of begging or going to uh, the food pantry. She was gleaning in the fields of a generous, kind man from Bethlehem by the name of Boaz. Seven weeks passed in her life in this way. Six days of gleaning, and then a Sabbath rest to the Lord. By the end of the seventh week, both the barley and the wheat harvests had been collected, and Naomi's house, Ruth's house, and everyone else's house in Bethlehem was full of food that would last through winter and beyond. It was a great year. Now, the men who had done all this farming and this work were tired after the harvest process from nonstop work in the fields, and they are ready to celebrate. Somebody shouts out. It's time for a barn party! (laughs) Any farmers? Anybody grow up on a farm here? Come on. I mean, when harvest is done, you need to have some fun. A little eating, a lot of drinking on the threshing room floor. Do you know what you can make out of wheat and barley? (laughs) During these seven weeks, the mind and the heart of Naomi have been working hard considering her daughter-in-law Ruth anew with sacrificial, other's-first kind of love. Chesed, we call this. She has been thinking about Ruth's future. Ruth, who as a foreigner, a refugee in Israel, a childless widow in the town of Bethlehem. And out of this other's-first love, Naomi is inspired by a new idea. Naomi, a spark of hope now lit inside of her, Ah, it starts the spark where she is able to imagine safety and security and provision and companionship for Ruth, this outsider. And in their old-school patriarchal town, there's only one way to access this for a foreigner, a female refugee, and it's through marriage. So mother-in-law Naomi sits daughter-in-law Ruth down and shares her inspiration I know where Boaz will be tonight, Naomi starts. He will be sleeping it off after the party on the threshing room floor. So, Ruth, take off your black widow clothes, probably they had been dressing in black for years at this point as widows, and wash yourself, perfume yourself, put on your colorful, I'm ready for something new. Close and go there. When the party is over and he is sleeping, uncover his feet and hopefully he won't have cold feet. Oh, it gets better, people. And then this line, Naomi advises, he will tell you what to do. All the nonverbals in the scenario indicate that marriage, that a relationship is in view should it occur to Boaz. So Ruth does this. She executes the plan. She showers, she washes, she perfumes, she dresses up. She tiptoes, she sneaks after midnight. She uncovers the feet of this man that she barely knows. And Boaz indeed wakes up, with his toes chilly in the wee hours of the night, the silhouette of an unknown woman crouching beside him. Have you ever woke up like that? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Like Red flag, red flag for Boaz. He is a man of honesty and honor. Women are not allowed in the barn at this point. And he gasps in the middle of the night. And now, Ruth goes totally off script. She is supposed to say, tell me what to do. But she doesn't wait to be told what to do, per her instructions. She tells Boaz what to do. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my kinsman redeemer, In saying these words, Ruth is invoking the ancient Israelite custom for the nearest relative to step in and help a family that has had loss and is on hard times. Ruth is invoking the spirit of this law here, not the letter of the law. Ruth is acting with tremendous courage and forwardness. She is proposing marriage. This is not how people rolled 3,000 years ago. She is doing more than that, though. She is proposing a rescue plan to save the name of her dead husband, Mahon, and her dead father-in-law, Elimelech, to save their names from perishing from the earth. Now, Boaz could, Boaz should shrug this all off and say something like, But Boaz whispers something different in the night. He says, Ruth, God bless you. God bless you. You haven't chosen to run off after younger men. And now don't be afraid. I will do all you ask. But there is one relative who is a nearer guardian redeemer than I am. If he is willing to help, good. But if he is unwilling, I will do all that you're asking. Now, people really, really want to know what else happened that night on the threshing room floor. What do you think happens when two consenting adults talk about marriage in the dark on a wine sodden floor? One more thing, though. What do you think happens when two people who happen to be filled with sacrificial others' first love are there in the dark? They still act with sacrificial others' first love. Of course. Boy, as a human being, Ruth is a human being. Clearly, they might be tempted to consummate this relationship, but the book of Ruth has established their character as being others-minded and giving. They don't yet have a relationship. And that relationship might never exist if another guardian-redeemer steps in. I would humbly submit to you that they are pure because they have a track record of acting with others' first sacrificial love. Now, about 1,000 years after this story, on another barn floor in Bethlehem, there was another surprising, pure act of others' first selfless love. I told you this was going to be about Jesus, right? It is not beyond God to repeat himself. He really loves to do incredible things on the barn floors of Bethlehem. Now, there is a temptation to sexualize this moment. Please don't. Sex is going to happen in the book of Ruth. Spoiler alert. There's even going to be a baby. But this is not a romance, it's a rescue operation. The burning question is not are Ruth and Boaz going to get together? The burning question of this book is who is going to save the name of Elimelech from perishing from the face of the earth? Ruth and Naomi are not old school Disney princesses who are waiting around for their Prince Charming to show up and rescue them or their Prince Boaz. Ruth and Naomi are called and empowered by God to make things happen, and they do make things happen. I mean, Ruth is breaking the rules and is off the reservation at this point, but they are making things happen the right way. Ruth leaves the threshing room floor just as the sun begins to rise before the other men can wake up and find out that there was a woman there in the barn. And as she goes... Boaz pours 70 pounds, the Bible says, 70 pounds of grain into her shawl for her to take home. Now, if you backpack, I mean like 40 pounds, is like a decent amount to haul around for a day. I've done this, it gets heavy. 70 pounds, Ruth takes home, not in a modern backpack, just in her shawl. This is a sign of Boaz's his pledge, his trust, and of future fruitfulness. Now, as the morning sun rises higher in the sky, we leave the world of Ruth and Naomi for a moment. We still good? All right. We leave that world and we enter the world of men. The elders of Bethlehem are talking as they do every morning. This is like the old guys group. They are talking, debating, opinionating at the city gate as they do every day. Boaz is more than welcome there. He is one of the town elders, familiar at the center, at the heart of the city. He is a familiar face with an unforeseen topic of business on this day. Now about... Naomi's land, Boaz begins, weighing his tactics carefully. And the next moment, peering from the back of the group of elders from the woodwork, Naomi's one closer relative is all ears. Oh, Naomi's land. He suddenly realizes that as Bethlehem is becoming prosperous again, I might stand to double the holdings of my own estate. Tradition calls this man Mr. No Name because we, in fact, don't know his name. He stands to gain greatly from the real estate transaction that is about to go down. I imagine that in his heavy robes, he is silently fingering the money bag that hangs from his shoulder. And he's thinking, you know, maybe a few months from now, this bag might weigh two or even (laughs) three times as much. He's imagining how wealthy he could be. But then, Boaz brings one more element into this real estate transaction. He brings up the fact that Ruth will be part of the bargain and notes that in addition to gaining a piece of land that has gone to seed, the one who signs the deal for Naomi's land will also bear the responsibility for saving the name of Elimelech by raising up sons, Descendants with Ruth. This is a high-stakes gamble all of a sudden. If Mr. No-Name has a son with Ruth, although she is thought to be barren, those future sons, that future son, would keep Naomi's land and inherit a portion of Mr. No-Name's estate, thus lessening the inheritance of his own existing sons. If Ruth would have no kids, more for him. If she has a son, less for everybody in his family. You get it? After a long, pregnant pause, Mr. No Name says, I cannot do this. I must save my own estate. And he walks away and is forever lost to history. Nothing more about him. He acts with common sense. He acts with a good business mind. He weighs the risks. But he does not act with others' first sacrificial love. No chesed with him. No loving kindness. And as a result, he's forgotten. We middle-class people with good minds and a lot of sense should take heed and be warned if we want to leave a legacy or a mark. The stage is now clear for Boaz. He steps forward and says this, I will redeem Today, you are witnesses that I have bought Naomi's land and all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and (laughs) Malon. It's just like exclamation points, people. (laughs) Exclamation points. I have also acquired Ruth as my... the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from the earth. Today, you are my witnesses. If this sounds a little bit like legal speak, it is. And to seal the deal in this moment, Boaz does something kind of unusual and unfamiliar to us. He takes off a shoe or a sandal in his case. Not everybody has to do this. And he offers it. There's actually a footnote in the book of Ruth that says this. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party would take off his sandal and give it to another. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. If there are any lawyers here today, I strongly encourage you to try this. At your next closing or deal. So, what's fascinating is the book of Ruth is ancient. I mean, eight, nine hundred years before Christ. And even that long ago, they still needed a footnote to tell them what this sandal exchanging thing was all about. Why did Boaz take off a sandal, or what would be the symbolic power of doing this? I think it's simply this I am going to walk this path. I promise. I swear, my word, if my feet come off this path, take the shoe I'm giving you and hit me over the head with it. Throw it at me. Remind me of what I am promising to do right now. Here's my shoe. Here's the conclusion of the story. So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth and then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him and the women living there said Naomi has a son and they named him Obed and he was the father of Jesse and Jesse was the father of King David Ruth gets pregnant and Naomi is no longer referred to as Mara meaning bitter. She is quite simply called from here on out for the till the end of her days, she is called Naomi which means pleasant, happy. It seems like a happy ending, right? I love that in her book, The Gospel of Ruth, Carolyn Custis James indicates that she was initially Bent out of shape, disappointed by this apparently happy ending. It seems too predictable. I mean, here's these ladies who start out in major trouble, they fight, they break the rules, and then at the end, how are their problems solved? <clears throat> Through marriage to some Yahoo and with a baby, and they're off just staying at home with the rest of the women from here on out. It stinks. but there's so much more to it. Carolyn Custis James realized that in order to complete the necessary rescue mission in the book of Ruth, that it took more than a man, it took more than a woman, it took a blessed alliance of men and women to do the job. This is a great phrase, a blessed alliance. Church, we are God's hands in the world. We are God's arms of loving kindness. God is ambidextrous. Do you know the meaning of this word? It means to have two right hands or two strong arms. Like somebody who can switch head in baseball, somebody who can sign their name equally well, lefty or righty. Serve a tennis ball, either hand. Like, that person is ambidextrous. God is ambidextrous. He has two right hands, men and women. It is always and with God. It is always a blessed alliance with God, no matter what groups we're talking about. Jews or Gentiles? Anybody read the New Testament? Jews or Gentiles? And. Slaves or free people? And. Poor people or rich people? And. Come on, people. <laughs> Young or old? Amen. And. <laughs> Latin or Greek? Amen. English or Spanish? Organs or guitars? Come on. What? Men or women? Yes. And it's clear from this story, this good news or gospel of Ruth, that despite centuries of human culture and conditioning to the contrary, God also calls his daughters, his female servants, to do mighty honorable, strong, clever things in his name. There are no shortage of good dudes in Bethlehem. But God started the work of this rescue plan. He started it with two widowed single ladies. And then it grew into a blessed alliance. The blessed alliance is the special work of God. From the original creation of the human race as male and female, it's God's purpose to do otherwise impossibly good and graceful things in creation through this blessed, of, blessed alliance, through the collaboration of his image bearers, through the teamwork of the two genders. We are better when we work together. Why would God want to tie one of his arms behind his back? In a final act of hesed and sacrificial love, in the last scene of this book, Naomi is not only called a grandmother, but she is called by the women of Bethlehem to be a mother. Mama Naomi. This was a sacrifice on Ruth's I imagine her, at least metaphorically, taking her own shoe and saying, you know what, Naomi? I swore to you that I would walk wherever you walked. I would go wherever you go. Your God would be my God. I will die where you die. And my child is your child. You're the mother. We are saving the name of Elimelech. God is has saved us. He has rescued our family. This is a remarkable turnaround. From barrenness, from widowhood, from famine, all the threads of the story coming together in the birth of this baby boy. Obed is born, and then Jesse, and then King David, and then on down the line, the root of Jesse Jesus himself. Now the path to Jesus and the path of Jesus is always paved with sorrow and loss, famine and brokenness. Some of us, those words make a lot of sense in our life right now. And the path of Jesus. And the path of Jesus is always about redemption and resurrection and abundant life and renewal. That is where all of our stories, all of our paths, if we're walking with Jesus, that's where we're going. Jesus, whose arrival in the flesh hinges on the humility and the willingness of another single lady, a teenage girl. Mary and Jesus, the ultimate blessed alliance. God created us male and female, two right hands. And then Jesus took both of those right hands and stretched them out as wide as humanly possible on the cross so that we could see once and for all what Hesed, what loving kindness, what sacrificial others' first love is really all about. And someday, when our path crosses to the other side, that embrace of the ultimate blessed alliance, now not just two, but three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is going to wrap us up in an unspeakable, beautiful, eternal love. So people, having heard the story of Ruth, the gospel of ruth is there anything stirring in your own spirit or heart or imagination that would like to take off your own shoe and say sign me up for that way of living i mean you don't have to do it literally cuz like it could get a little funky in here but if you want to do this metaphorically i mean you could do it literally If you want to take off a shoe and say, God, Jesus, I want to re-up on my commitment to walk on your narrow path. As far as the people I love, my spouse, my kids, my grandkids, my friends, my people, my kin, my folks, I will give myself and sacrificial others' first love to them. And God, if you whisper to me, to do that for somebody outside my family? I will even do that. I want to walk on your path, Jesus. And more than anything, I need you to walk with me. In the end, this is the only path to take. It's the path of significance. It's the path of grace, the path of rescue. It's the path of legacy and being remembered. It's the path of God. Remember what happened to Mr. No-Name? He's forgotten. But when we walk the sacrificial path, God will indeed do something beautiful through our sacrifice, through our thankfulness. What will it look like? I don't know. But if we walk this path together as a community, it will be massive and awesome. The book of Ruth ends with these words. This, then, is the line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Sammon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. And we can add that David's great son is Jesus. One more time. David's great son is Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God, you promise to never leave us or forsake us. Ruth did that with Naomi, and Boaz did that with Ruth, And then Ruth and Naomi and Boaz all together stuck with Obed. But you, God, you stuck with all of them. In your faithfulness, O Lord, stick with us as we try to walk the path of Jesus Christ. We are weak and we need you to be with us. So hold us and give us the gift of walking side by side in this very community, in the blessed alliance that is your will for us. And we all pray through Jesus and say together, amen. I'm going to invite the deacons forward. One way of acting sacrificially is through our tithes and offerings. While this happens, Angela Bukema is going to sing a lovely song that uh, utilizes the words and the spirit.